man, it's, uh, it's good to be together and sing to God. And um, there are moments when I just stop singing. I've always, I don't know, it's just a thing with me. I've, I've always, there's just been moments where I stop singing personally and just hear God's people sing collectively, and it's just good. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for singing to him. If I hadn't had the chance to meet you, uh, I don't know if there are new faces out there or not because right now I'm so blinded. Uh, I, I don't know. These lights, I'm telling you. Um, they also make me sweaty, side note. Anyways, um, but if I hadn't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jason Durant, and I'm honored to be uh, the lead pastor of Dublin Bible Church. Listen, I know that we just prayed um, together, AJ led us, but I want to give you a minute to pray. And uh, we're going to pray today for three specific things. And, and even if you're here and you're going, hey, I'm not even sure if I believe in the whole Jesus thing, uh, you can pray for at least one of these things. All right. And so I want to just take a moment and uh, prayer doesn't always have to be eyes closed, head bowed. But if that's you, whatever it looks like for you to feel comfortable in the presence of God, I'm just going to give you a few seconds to pray. The Bible says that uh, these gatherings, these moments when we're together as a faith family, there should be some prayer. Right? And so I want us to pray this morning, um, specifically I want us to pray. I, I was thinking as we were singing, the verse just hit me hard in the middle of my heart um, that says that we should come and cast all our cares upon him being God. That word cares, uh, another translation would say maybe burdens or anxieties. And so the first thing I want you to pray for is just I just want to give you a minute. We get so caught up in making sure we're where we need to be and everybody's dressed and hair is in the right place and all that. Whew, right? It's a lot. And so I just want to give you a minute. So let's just go into a moment of prayer. I want you to feel like you have a moment to say to God your burdens. Talk to him now about the things that are heavy on your heart. Talk to him now about the things that would be distractions for you in this moment. Cast your cares upon him because the promise in the second half of that verse is that he cares for you. Secondly, um, specifically feel inclined to ask you to pray against the work of our enemy. Uh, if we're people who believe that there's a great big invisible God, it's not a stretch to believe that there's an opponent who's invisible to us also. We have an enemy named Satan, and he would love to rob us of what God would want to do in our hearts right now. So I want you to pray against that right now. lastly, here's the one we can all pray. If it would be true of you, that you would want to hear from God in this place. No matter how you come or what your belief is in him, say to him in your own way, God, if you'll speak, I'll listen. Tell him that you want to hear from him.
God, we come as honestly as we know how. We come as people glad to have hope in you, Jesus, as people thankful for your rescue, but also as people broken, as people burdened in a world that seems sometimes to relentlessly batter us. So God, we, we come here not because it's Sunday. We come to this room not because it's made of some kind of special fabric, God, that would conjure you up. We, we come to this moment together because we're seeking you. To bring you our burdens, to lay them at your feet, and to ask nothing in their place but a strong awareness of your presence. As we open your word, I pray that you, by your spirit, doing what only you can do would make your word clear to us and that you might grant the request for each one who would truly say it to you and that we would know that we've heard from you. God, that your word would land in our hearts in ways that I would not have planned or even know about or understand, that you would speak clearly to us, individually, collectively. God, this is your time and your word. We're thankful to be here with you in it. We ask these things for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've heard this before. You probably have. Your parents probably said this to you at some point, unless you were uh, the sweet, angelic, perfect child, uh, which would be my older sibling. Uh, she's the one who never got into any trouble, did anything wrong ever. Um, if she ever did anything wrong, it was thinking that she did something wrong because she really didn't. Right, that was her. But unless you were that kid, you've probably heard from your parents before something like, you're going to have to pay for your raising. Right, anybody ever heard that before? Like, or, or, or I've heard it said before, you're going to have one just like you, right? And, and I, I've seen that be true many, many times. It's, it's true in my life. And it's not always a bad thing, by the way. When you see some things from yourself that are in your kids, sometimes it's an awesome thing. But, but I see it a lot of times in, in all three of my kids, but I see it most sometimes in my, my older son, Judson. And, and I have his permission today to talk about this, so don't think that I would come up here spouting my kids' secrets, all right? But but he, like me, like I remember doing when I was around his age, like my mom tells me that I did, uh, even to this day she talks about, about it. He, he walks around and he just kind of has his own language sometimes, right? He just has his own little quirky sayings that he says. They don't necessarily make sense in any other world, right? They're, they're not necessarily logical. They're just his things that he says, right? And he might say them with a funny face, just trying to make you smile, but... But, but he talks often about a guy named Johnny Pippins. I don't know if you know Johnny Pippins or know anything about him historically. I don't know if he ever even existed. The way we got to talking about Johnny Pippins was one day I was talking about the, the late 90s Chicago Bulls, and I mentioned Scotty Pippin. And from that, he likes to talk about Johnny Pippins, and he knows it drives me nuts. I'm like, dude, you've got to stop. And he'll be like, Dad, I think that's like, that's like Johnny Pippins good right there. That's Johnny Pippins. I'm like, dude, stop, right? Loves to talk about Johnny Pippins. There for a while, he walked through life. I started calling him Slim Pickens. See, me doing it to him. I don't know where that came from. But from time to time, instead of just calling him Slim, I'll call people Slim sometimes. I started saying, what's up, Slim Pickens? And so he started walking around, and he would say for years, just in the middle of a moment, he wouldn't be doing anything. He'd just say, this is my act of Slim Pickens. Nobody knows what he's talking about, right? Don't know what the act is. Don't know what he's doing. This is my act of Slim Pickens. Maybe my favorite one ever that we've talked about as a family for a good, good while. He talked 
numerous times, and he was probably only four or five years old. He talked about how he had a girlfriend that worked at the bank, all right? He told me one day, I think I was probably messing with him, maybe about a little girl at school or something, I don't know, but he said, I got a girlfriend. She works at the bank. I was like, really? He said, her name is Greggy. I was like, dude, I don't know any Greggies. I don't know about a girlfriend at the bank. Here's the thing, if, if you were to come up to me or if I was even just to be standing in a room and I heard somebody say something about Johnny Pippins, if I was to hear somebody mention Greggy from the bank, right? If somebody said, this is my act of slim pickings, here's what I know. My dude's in the room. <laughs> Nobody else is talking about that. I've never heard once anybody else ever talk about their girlfriend Greggy at the bank, Right? When I hear those things, I know that it's him. You have the same situation. There are certain acts that people do, certain characteristics that when you see those things, you know that person is either there or they've been there. Some of you could ID your spouse right now from 200 feet away just by hearing them sneeze. Am I right? Mm -hmm. You're like, that's her. (laughs) Is either some odd animal? (laughs) That's my wife. Mine is horrible, right? Some of you, you're going, my, I know when I hear my husband sneeze because it sounds like a bear attacking, right? Like, you just know, don't you? Your spouse does that little thing that nobody else does exactly that way, and you absolutely adore it and love it, and or it absolutely drives you nuts. Maybe it's like you, for you, like it is with me. Maybe it's your kids. You got that one kid that when the cup is left on the end table with some drink in it and it's just been sitting there for about three days, it's got dust growing on the outside of it. You know who left that cup there. You know which kid it was because they're the one that leaves stuff. When you find the the pants in the laundry that still has the underwear all tangled up inside of it, inside out, they didn't separate it out. You know which kid because they're the one that does that. That's their trademark. (laughs) We are in week three today of a Bible study series we're calling Trademarks. And what we're looking at are identifiers of authentic Christian community. Well, that's kind of a mouthful. What does that mean? What we're saying is that people gather in large groups and they gather in small groups all the time in, in things that don't even have anything to do with God. There were large groups gathered in stadiums yesterday. There will be small groups gathered in coffee shops around the world today. There are people who gather in large groups and in small groups under the banner of Christianity, under the name of God. But I'm, I'm here to say to you that that doesn't necessarily always mean that real, authentic Christian community is taking place. Unfortunately. And I've probably been a part of that. Maybe you have. What we want to see from Scripture is we walk forward in faith together as a church. Not necessarily a pastor standing before you, charging you and saying, do these things. What we want to do is just look at God's Word and go, here... Here are some identifying traits. These are some things that will be true when genuine, sincere, authentic Christian community takes place. And we just want to hold those up right next to our lives and our hearts, individually and collectively, and ask God's Spirit to show us and lead us in where we need to grow in those things. Today we're going to look at a pretty familiar passage, so I'm going to ask you to hang in with me. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and today is actually the first real trademark of authentic Christian community we're looking like. If you've been around the last couple of weeks, we said we had a little bit of prep work to do. And so week one, we said that the church is you. So if you're somebody who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how 
regularly you attend church. It doesn't matter if you've been dunked in the water. None of that stuff. It's not about the stuff that you do. If you say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, then in the moment that that became true for you, you also became the capital C church. The church is you, regardless of what we do with that. And then last week we said the church is messy. That though we're a people hoping to grow in Christ, we're also a people who are really tempted by and drawn to and at times fall into sin. Not the, the kind of dirty stuff that's a little oopsie, but like the real big deal, cost the life of Christ like all sin does stuff. That's us. With those ideas true about us, then let's lean into this first trademark. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the last few verses starting in verse 42. And what has just preceded this is really, really important. And so we'll just, just in a nutshell say that in Acts chapter 2, God's spirit has come down upon his people in a very surprising way, a very unique way, and for the first time in a way like it never has before. Now, there's all kind of stuff we could talk about and argue about about that moment, and that's not what we're here for today. But just say to you that God's spirit lands on his people, and it's demonstrative, it's observable. There's obviously something going on in the people of God that is different. It's not something that they can just conjure up and do. And the people watching, some of them are amazed by this, and some of them are intrigued by this, and some of them are critical of this and start to make accusations and say that the folks are just putting on a show. And then Peter, one of the Lord's closest friends, steps up, led by the Spirit, and he preaches. He preaches to him, and we have his sermon in chapter 2. I'd encourage you to go back and read that today, but here's what he does. He points back to the Old Testament and a prophet named Joel and the things that he said were going to happen when the Lord's Messiah came. And then he points present day into their lives, the, the lives of the hearers, the lives of the listeners. And he goes, here's the deal. This guy named Jesus, he's the one. He's the one who's come. He's the only one who can give us any hope of forgiveness, of acceptance from God. He's it, and you all crucified him. And it says in the verses immediately preceding these that, after that, then that one day, it was added to their number 3,000 people. So that one day, hearing this powerful sermon that the Spirit wrought out of Peter, 3,000 people or more responded and, and followed Jesus in faith. They realized their guilt. They realized the shamefulness of not recognizing him as the Messiah when he was preaching and ministering. And they joined the church. So there's this big, huge moment, this big, huge display of God's power in supernatural, miraculous ways. And then there's this big, huge display of God's saving power in all of these people's lives. And then this is what happened next. See if it's what you would expect to have happened next. And it says this, Acts 2, 42. And they, this being the collective all of them the people the church there's a bunch of them now <laughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers so what happened after these big miraculous moments happened was was not that they started setting up big memorials to this moment it wasn't that everybody tried to figure out which pair of lucky socks they had on that day so that they could recreate it by wearing them every day. They didn't show up and do the same chant. They didn't, there's none of that. They're not trying to conjure anything. They're not trying to remember anything. They're not, they're not out just looking into the sky for the next time that, that this big moment and the spirit falls and all of these things. They're not, they're not doing any of that. What they do is, is in a lot of ways a very 
everyday mundane type of thing. They devoted themselves. In response to seeing God, they devoted themselves. And, and really, if we understood that language rightly there, I think it could be said that they, they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. I want you to hear this today, and we're going to kind of unpack at least one of our objections to this, but here's the reality that we see here is this, is that healthy devotion grows from gospel recognition. Healthy devotion grows from gospel recognition. Now, for some of us, maybe this is your story. You've been in environments and you've been maybe in churches or you've been around people who are believers and you've been pushed to do more. You've been pushed to commit to more. You've been charged to more devotion. No matter how much you were doing, somebody was always pointing out to you what you weren't doing yet. That was the key focus. Unfortunately, oftentimes as Christians and therefore churches, we become known more for what we're against than what we're for. And maybe you've experienced that before. And so when you hear some idea of commit harder, some idea of be more devoted, there's this thing in us that immediately starts to push back. I can just tell you I have that at times in me. Because there were times where I felt like if I wasn't there for the 5 o'clock discipleship hour before the 6 o'clock service, I wasn't doing good enough. If I didn't have enough marks next to my name for verses memorized weeks in a row in Sunday school. And that's not anything bashing those people. That was just what I took in through my heart. But what I want you to hear is that just because we've sometimes experienced wrong devotion, devotion driven by duty, devotion driven by guilt and shame, there is a such thing as unhealthy devotion, but healthy devotion grows from gospel recognition, from seeing the power of God to save. And that's what Jesus was most interested in people seeing through all of the signs and all of the miracles. And I would argue that's what he's most interested in people seeing on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, is that he has the power to rescue. He alone does. And when we see that, healthy devotion can grow. What does devotion mean? To be devoted to something means that you're committed to it until it's achieved. Devotion only ends in two ways. It ends when you decide to no longer be devoted or it ends when what you were aiming for and striving for is something that you're now grasping. That's what it means to be devoted. But notice that it's not just enough to be devoted. You have to be rightly devoted. Devoted to the right thing couple of ways we can get askew in this one is to be radically devoted but to be devoted to the wrong things I've been hazed a whole lot here since we moved here a couple of months ago about being an Alabama fan y'all should y'all should did we just have a go was that an amen or a go dogs anyway some of y'all think they sound the same I don't know what's wrong with y'all but anyway right? Uh, praise Jesus, dogs! Like y'all think it's the same thing. Anyways, I love y'all. I'm just kidding, right? But I've been I've been hazed for that a lot. But there's a guy in Alabama history, and not like the state, the football team. We don't talk about him in the state as much as possible. But his name is Harvey Updike. Some of you know the story of Harvey Updike. He was an Alabama fan that got so upset several years back about the fact that Auburn beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl that he even called in and confessed to it on a national radio show that he had gone over to Auburn and the trees that they roll with toilet paper when they win a big game, which, by the way, can I just say, redneck. Okay, right? But that's what they do, right? When they win, they're like, let's go throw some toilet paper. I don't know, right? I don't know how that started. What if you're an Auburn fan? I love you. I'm kidding, kind of. Right, but anyways, they, he goes over there, 
and he poisons the famous trees, the historic trees. People have t-shirts with these trees on them. That's how important these trees are to Auburn. He goes over and he poisons them. And then he calls in to brag about it and goes, I did it. Had enough. Row tide. Right? That's what he did. He was more devoted than, than man, probably all 107,000 in the stadium on that day. But he was devoted wrongly. <laughs> Somewhere in his brain, it wasn't clicking that, that figuring out what poisons a specific type of tree and then going and purchasing some, which is just how do you even get into all that? Right? He, he does that, and then he goes on over there, probably wearing an Alabama shirt if I had to guess, and he poisons the trees. He was as committed as anybody. He was as fanatic and radical as you could be, but he was committed to the wrong things, man. Way off. Simultaneously, we can be committed to good things, but for the wrong reasons. I was at my best friend's house in high school, and he and I were sitting on the couch, and we were trying to do some calculations to figure out the grade I needed to make on an upcoming test. So it was like certain grades were weighted for 20%, and then certain grades were 15% with the lowest two dropped. And so we're putting my grades out there. He's, he's working on it. I'm working on it. We're talking about it. His dad, who was like a second father to me, is sitting across the room this whole time. And his dad just happened to be just, man, a, a mathematical genius. He did a lot of people's taxes, could just do big math problems in his head. He goes, finally, he just goes, what, what, are, y'all, what are y'all doing over there? What are y'all? And so he gets involved, and he starts crunching the numbers. And the more we talk about it, eventually he says, what are we trying to get to? said, what? And he said, what? what we, so I know we're punching these numbers, but what, what's the grade that you're aiming for with these numbers that you're putting in? And I said, well, I'm just trying to make sure that I get a D, right? Because I was worried about not passing. I'm not saying that's how it should be. If you're in high school, don't be like me. Be like Jesus, right? But right, I wasn't taking it real serious, and it was close to the end of the semester, and so I'm stressing and probably, I'm sure, sweating, and we're sitting there trying to figure out what is the absolute lowest grade I can make and still get a passing D, and when I said out loud to him, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out how I can get a D. This guy who's like my second father, it's the one time he ever raised his voice at me. He stood up slightly out of his chair and he said, you better get downstairs and study for that test. <laughs> he loved me too much and he was ticked off that I was spending so much energy on something that seemed like a good idea to calculate and be aware, know my grades, what I needed to make it. And then he hears that it's a D and he's like, man, <laughs> we can be doing really good things for really wrong reasons sometimes. What you see from the early churches that they were devoted, they were committed, they were bought in. Make sure you hear this this morning. When I'm saying this, I know that as a church, there's this opportunity for us to hear that that means that we're at every single function the church ever has. We're part of every ministry. We're all... No, I'm not saying that. In fact, I would argue that devotion to the church often has a whole lot more to do with what happens when we're not gathered together here than it does when we are. But they are committed. They are devoted. They're bought in. Bought into what? They're bought into seeking the presence of God together through some really clear and really regular means that God gives us. It says in these verses, it says that they're committed, they're devoted together to what? To the apostles' teaching. They're committed to the apostles' teaching. For us, the word, we have the scripture. We have God revealed his heart to us on page. And I've been guilty at multiple times in my life of it sitting in the same place in my vehicle until I picked it up the next week. (laughs) Sitting on the table next to my chair so that when I decided to look spiritual or feel spiritual, I could pull it out but never actually 
touching it. If you've ever picked up a copy of God's Word and there's been a clear imprint from where it was and the dust around it, you've lived my life. This is God's heart for us. And so when we think about authentic Christian community, here's the deal. It's not just a matter of us being committed together. It's us being committed in Christ. And that will never happen if we don't have a foundational tie to his word. We might do some neat things. We might do some good things. We might achieve some positive things in the world. But if we're going to ever be an authentic Christian community that changes and shapes our lives and impacts the world around us, we're going to have to be devoted to God's word. When we gather together in discipleship groups and community groups, man, there might be a week here and there where we're just hanging out. That's an okay thing. That's a good thing sometimes. But then we're going to study God's word. We're going to dig in. We're going to say, what does what we talked about on Sunday, that word, how does that actually impact my life today? See this multiple times in Scripture. That the word is proclaimed and then there are smaller groups that are breaking it down together. What does it look like for us personally and then us together to be devoted to God's word? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. And some of you may not love that I'm going to say this. I'm going to just be honest. I'm not nearly as concerned that you're part of an official community group or an official discipleship group as I am that you're doing life with some other believers. And that y'all are studying God's word together and that you're doing some other things together that we'll see. Whose life is your life connected with? Who could you not do your faith journey without? Because you are looking together. You're pointing to Jesus together. Listen, and, and I'm not trying to heap a big weight on your back. I, I want our church to be a church that can offer a big help. If your answer to that is nobody, man, come see me when you're done. Let's, let's talk through it. Let's see what we can do to help you. But who are you devoted with? And particularly who you devoted with to God's word. Because going into the Christian life without God's word is like trying to accomplish an assembly without the directions. Right? We just had a desk in a, that we put together a couple weeks ago. and I, I didn't know this when we purchased it or we probably wouldn't have purchased it. But I love my wife. Okay, But there's a button you can press on the desk and it will automatically lift and lower for you. It's the fanciest thing I've ever seen. I bet we paid at least $150 extra dollars for that. It even has three settings you can press where it'll go to automatic set places. It's pretty stinking cool, but man, feels bougie. But when that desk was assembled, at some point, the person assembling it stepped out on the directions and didn't quite put it together. And so then when we plugged it up for the first time and you pressed the buttons, it just did a bunch of red flash. It looked like Star Wars fight with just lightning just all over the place. It didn't do anything. It just sat there and looked at you. Because we didn't use the directions on that part. If we can't put together a desk, if you can't do the, the kids' play set in the backyard, if you can't get the software downloaded rightly and get it doing what you need it to do to accomplish what you need it to accomplish, if we can't do these things, you've had these experiences, if we can't do these things without the guidance that's provided, how in the world do we think that we're going to live believing more in what we can't see than in what we do see without pointing our hearts at God's word? God's given us his heart on the page. Let us be awed by that and, and wowed by that and feel like there's a huge opportunity there and devote ourselves to it individually but also together. We read that they're also devoted to prayer. 
Listen, you've probably heard me say before, you'll probably hear me say again, that prayer and just being committed to praying together can be one of the most awkward experiences. I know that's not just for me because I've had too many conversations with other people about it. It can just be awkward sometimes when it's time to be together and pray at the same time. But the people of God do it regularly. And they see God answer so many of their prayers. Not because their prayers are perfect. Not because they use the exact right terminology. But because they're expressing a dependence upon a God who is the only one who can do the things that we need him to do. Would we be a people who get down on our knees at times and go, hey, this may be weird, but we're going to pray together. high school student I took two junior high guys to to lunch and I said which one of you guys is gonna pray for us before we started to eat our meal one of them started praying and as he got into his prayer he was getting ready to rope it down and, and say amen and he said God I want to thank you for the nourishment for the nourishment for the God I want to thank you for the nourishment and I just said amen <laughs> he was trying to thank God for the nourishment that the food gave us because <laughs> that's what he'd heard said before he probably didn't know what nourishment meant he thought there was a script to say it, and we laughed together and had a good time, and it was a great conversation for us to go, hey, man, you can just say what you say. You just say what's your heart to God. See, the, the power in our role in prayer is not found in how perfectly we do it. It's found in our faith in the God who calls us to himself. <laughs> they were committed in this Christian community that was seeing awesome things happen to God's word and to prayer. It says they were committed to, to fellowship. That word fellowship really just means shared life. They were sharing their lives with each other. So this wasn't just a Sunday thing. This wasn't a part of the organization. We only talk about the organization thing. This was life on life. This was my burdens, my struggles, your burdens, your struggles. We're all going to God and toward him in next faith steps together. It says they were committed to the breaking of bread. Some technical stuff going on there in Bible study that we won't delve too deep into. They're probably referencing there in the two separate references. There's another one in verse 46. They're probably referencing just the common meals that they ate together and also referencing to communion. So the Lord has given us to remember him in. They were committed to seeking God together. Now quickly, we've seen that the church is not just committed, but they're committed in Christ. They're committed to seeking God together. Not just committed to doing some good things. Not just committing to be more moral. Not committing to just trying to help somebody not do that thing anymore. They're committed to seeking God together. What does that bring about in and through their lives? Verse 43 says, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they became these people who were Selling all the possessions and they're, they're taking the money and using it to, to bless each other. They're using it to bless needs that rise up in them and around them. It's important to, to point out that this was not a, a mandate that everybody had to do. I, I can't see where this is something that everybody sold every single thing that they owned. Because one of the verses, I believe it's 46, said that they met together daily in their homes. <laughs> Somebody still had a house. <laughs> this was not some kind of 
militant, dominant structure of you must or you're not good enough. This was, hey, I've seen God and that makes me willing to sacrifice me for the sake of us. God uses shared pursuit together to bring about selfless joy. You see that in that last verse? It said that they were glad and generous in heart. That when they started devoting to God and seeking him together, the next thing just just grew out of a natural outflow of that was that they were together and caring for each other. They had this glad generosity about them as they sought God together. You know this. You know that that striving for a common goal together can even bring you together with people who are different than you or people you thought you didn't even like that much. The movie that came out a while back, it was great. Remember the Titans? Features a football team being united together across racial divides in days when segregation was being ended in schools. If you'll remember, they came together not liking each other, hating each other, fighting together as a team. But by the end, as they have fought together not just to win games on the field, but to, but to show people that there is a goodness in people because they're made in the image of God and they could just love each other regardless of their differences. As they have had this fight together, by the end, they loved each other. By the end, they were willing to do anything for each other. Seen it in Top Gun, Maverick, Iceman, couldn't stand each other. By the end, they're hugging. They're on the ship. Yeah! In the new Top Gun, by the way, Hangman, Rooster, just saying. Ladies, I'm, I'm working on one. I thought about Steel Magnolias, but I don't know, right? So I, it feels like, I don't know, Wheezy. I, I don't know. Anyway, right? So we, I think it's Weezer now that I've, <laughs> anyway, all right. Here's the deal. When you commit to striving towards a worthwhile goal, it can pull you together with people you never imagined. And nowhere is that more possible than in the pursuit of an all-good, all-the-time God. You want to find some imperfect people who won't always do it rightly, but who will love you and absolutely break their back to serve you and care for you? Figure out what it means to get with those people and seek God together and watch what he does. produced in them glad generosity and what did it produce in those around them this last verse verse 47 it says they had these glad and generous hearts 47 and they were praising God pay attention to this and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved man is that a, is that a bizarre thought for the church that's who this is this is the early church it was our thought that the church would have favor with all the people. That people around them would look at them. And there no doubt were some people who made fun of what they believed. But man, there was something about the way that they lived their lives. And the way that they loved those around them that people went, man, I appreciate that. <laughs> My former pastor used to say all the time, listen, I, I want our church to be such that, that even if people never believe in our Jesus, they walk away going, I know that those people love me. see this that people are added in daily and can I just just say this to you and then we'll be done as a church if we're going to be a genuine Christian community that is founded in the person and presence of God growing in his word as we are praying together to them as we're doing this I think it's right for us to expect that God is going to save other people (laughs) through us We're right to expect God-centered unity to draw outsiders in. 
I'm going to make sure I don't give you a promise. I'm not saying it's going to happen next week or tomorrow, that it's going to be 3,000 people like it was in Acts chapter 2. I think of missionary Adoniram Judson, one of the first missionaries to go to Burma, who went with a passion for these people and was insulted and persecuted in multiple ways. And it was six years before he ever saw a convert. What were you doing six years ago? In some ways, that's a short amount of time. In some ways, that's a long time every day after day after day. How many days do you want to give up? But he just believed, even in the face of defeat, that God wanted to use his life for other people to come to know his grace. We're right to expect others to be drawn in if we have in ourselves a God-centered unity. The church is committed in Christ. That will change us. We will be self-sacrificing. We'll be gladly generous with each other, with the world around us. And we're right to believe that God would leverage that kind of community to point others to himself. So today, listen church, you are a devoted church. It hasn't taken me being around you very long to know that. Maybe the question for us today is not how committed am I, but am I truly committed in a way that's really striving in Christ to see Christ for some of us it may be I'm, I'm walking with the Lord faithfully I'm striving and devoted but maybe the question for you is how do you help the next generation learn to do the same how do you help the brother or the sister next to you learn to do the same for some of us it may be going hey I've, I've pushed so hard against ideas of legalism and you have to and rules that I almost don't want to pay attention to mandates from Scripture that are clear. Where does God want to call us to be more committed in Him, to be rightly committed in Him? And would you dare to just dream of what He might do in and through our hearts as we commit to that kind of authentic Christian community? There's hope in Jesus alone. If you're here today and you don't know that, come find me when we're done. I'd love to talk with you about that. And my guess is that if you're not sure if you know that or not, that's sparking up in your heart right now. So come, let's talk about it. There's hope in Jesus alone. Our community is to be shaped by that and that only. Let's pray. I don't know nearly as much as I would like to about what it might look like for Dublin Bible Church to continue down the path of being rightly committed in you. But God, I do believe that you would use us. That that through our lives and through our love for each other that you would show yourself to others. God, I believe that as we seek you together, you would make us glad seekers of you, that we would enjoy you more and more as we would be committed to authentic Christian community. God, will you show us what that looks like in each of our hearts? Would you show us? For each person who said that they would listen if you would speak right now, God, I trust that you have been, but right now, would you make it clear? And God, would you draw us past the notion that we can fight it on our own, that we can figure it out on our own, and would you draw us to go talk to that person, go seek that help so that we might be those kind of people that you've called us to be, that you empower us to be. 
glory of your name. For our joy therein. Let us walk forward with active next steps of faith. We ask all this in your name. Jesus. Amen.